you know, real quick, I want to show you a couple of things, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about our series on 1 Corinthians, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about my background, if I can. Then we're going to dig in the scripture together. Um, you know, when you're studying the Bible, the best thing to do when you're studying the Bible is to read your Bible over and over and over again. So when I'm preparing to do a message on a text of scripture like today, I honestly don't know how many times I read through 1 Corinthians 12. But what I do is I just keep reading through it again and again and again, and I try to marinate in it. I try to let it kind of permeate my mind. Hopefully it's also permeating my heart. But what I do is I read through it again and again and again. And when I don't understand something, like for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to understand uh, chapter 12 well, it's really good to read through chapters 12 through 14 because it's an entire unit of Scripture that talks about spiritual gifts. And so what you don't understand in chapter 12, a lot of times is answered in chapter 13 or chapter 14. So there's value in reading the Scripture again and again and again, and there's value in reading longer sections of Scripture. Uh, But I'll do that. Then after I've done that, uh, a lot of times I'll make a a list of questions, questions I have based upon the text. And and, uh, what I would encourage you to do, if you don't have one, I would encourage all of you, to invest in a really good study Bible, okay? A really good study Bible. Now, real quick, just want to say this. Tony Evans is one of my favorite Bible teachers. He's recently come out with a a study Bible. I would encourage you not to buy his study Bible until you've bought this study Bible. And let me explain to you why, okay? Tony Evans is a fantastic Bible teacher. You will get great value out of a study Bible. I know that because I've read enough of Tony's work to know that it's going to be really, really good. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good things from Tony Evans. I have through the years. The difference between Tony Evans' study Bible and this study Bible is this. This study Bible, uh, the, the English Standard Version of the Bible, was translated by about 100 Bible scholars from various denominations, Bible traditions, by the leading uh, Greek and Hebrew scholars of the world today. Okay? It was translated by actual scholars. And every note in this is written, uh, is written by that translation team. So you're actually reading some of the best scholarship in the world, and it's all in one volume. Okay? Uh, if you have this one and you have the opportunity to buy a second one, before I buy Tony Evans, uh, I would buy this. It's called the NIV Study Bible. The NIV Study Bible, the NIV Bible was uh, translated by about 100 Bible scholars from various traditions, but these are among the leading elite Bible scholars and theologians of our world today. Actually, this, uh, this team of scholars, a lot of them have gone to be a Jesus now. Uh, but it was still, it was, uh, it, it's, it's, and the actual notes come from the translation team. So again, you're reading some of the best scholarship. Now, why would you, you, you might want to know, why do I recommend the ESV before the NIV? The only reason is the ESV is a little bit more comprehensive, a little bit more thorough in some areas. Uh, and, uh, but the NIV, it has a lot of notes and a lot of uh, answers to important questions that the ESV doesn't address. But the ESV has, a, I, I believe, just a little bit more than the NIV does. But they're both fantastic. And if you get this one before you get that one, that's fine. You're not going to go to hell, okay? Uh, but but I, I would encourage you to do that. If you could get 
uh, a third resource. Uh, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to, to get this. It's, it's a systematic theology. It's by a guy named Wade, uh, Wayne Grudem. And uh, basically what I'm recommending here would be a total of about $120. Now, some of you say, well, that's a lot to spend on books. But this is what I'll say, is these books you can gain uh, wisdom from for many, many years, and that really is not that much money. I mean, my guess is a few of us here have probably spent more than $120 eating out. Uh, I think some of us here probably spent more than that on our vacations, uh, I think some of us have spent more than that on our cars and other things that don't necessarily enrich our hearts and minds. Are, are, are you with me here? And so what I'm talking about is, is and, and, and with this, um, so if you, if you have a question, you just look in the table of contents, you look for the question that you want answered, and then you look it up, okay? Now, there's a shorter version of this uh, by Wayne Grudem, uh, that's a little bit more affordable, and it's 20 Bible questions. And, and I would say that might be, if you don't get this, get that, uh, but that's a really, really good one as well. But just want to, uh, because I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be referencing this a little bit later in the message. I just wanted to, to let you know what these were out here for and what I was recommending. By the way, uh, Christmas is coming. Uh, actually, less than a month, is that right? What's today's date? No. 24th? Okay, so a month from tomorrow. Month from tomorrow. There you go. There's your Christmas shopping right there. You know, get it all done. All right? Uh, so I uh, want to encourage that. Uh, we've been looking through, uh, we've been reading, studying the book of 1 Corinthians together. And part of what I've been telling you is when you read through 1 Corinthians, it can be kind of a hard book to read sometimes. And part of the reason why it can be hard is because you just get this sense that Paul's really exasperated. And we've talked about this. But the reason that Paul is exasperated is because he loves these people so much. Because he believes in them, and he believes in what God wants to do in them. But they were a church that struggled with a lot of division, a lot of arguing with one another. They were a church that struggled with all different kinds of immorality. They struggled with idol worship. They struggled with a lot of bad stuff. And one of the things they struggled with was something that's really, really good, but because of their twisted understanding, they began to turn it into something that was not so good. It was creating division in the church. And they had uh, some questions, and they had some misguided thinking about spiritual gifts. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next uh, three weeks. So we're going to be looking today at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to that. Uh, real quick, let me tell you a little bit about my background, if I can. Uh, I grew up going to church. I, I grew up in a really, really good church, Bible Church of Little Rock. Uh, my parents were devoted followers of Christ. And in my background, we were, uh, it, uh, this word I know probably means nothing to most of you, but we were a dispensationalist church, okay? And uh, that was kind of our background. So some people come from more of a Baptistic background. Dispensationalists aren't that different from Baptists, but it's, they're just a little bit more, uh, a little bit more Baptist than the Baptist, <laughs> but they don't use the name. All right. So I came from a dispensationalist background, and uh, in our background, uh, we were taught that some gifts were for the first century, and completely different gifts were for the 20th century. The 20th century, because that's when I grew up. All right. Uh, and 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 that was kind of my understanding: is that some gifts were for way back then, 
but then they had ended with the ending of the writing of the New Testament. Okay, now there's a reason why people believe that. And a lot of it is because they were uncomfortable with some of the gifts. All right? And what they did is they took a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it says, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. But when the perfect comes, I don't think is the completion of the New Testament, because that's not what the text says. But when it's talking about the perfect coming, most of the time we're talking about the perfect coming being the second coming of Jesus. Are you with me here? So some people, some of us here, we may have come from a background like mine, and uh, we were cessationists, meaning that some spiritual gifts ceased with the completion of the New Testament. Some of us may have come from more of like a charismatic background, meaning that uh, all the gifts were for then, all the gifts are for today. Uh, Some of us come from uh, a lot of different kinds of traditions. Where I'm at today is I am what I would call a continuationist. A continuationist. I'm not a cessationist, but I'm a continuationist. I believe in the charismatic gifts because all the gifts are called charismata. Okay? They're all charismata. However, I don't necessarily think the exercise of these gifts might look like they are exercised in some churches. And that's where I'm a little bit reluctant to call myself, quote, unquote, charismatic. I would call myself charismatic, but I would also call myself Catholic. I would. I hope you would, too. I hope you would, too. Because the word Catholic only means universal. Okay? It means universal. It doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means Catholic. It means universal. That there's one universal church, and Jesus Christ is the Lord. Meaning that not just Baptists are going to go to heaven. Meaning that not just Presbyterians are going to go to heaven, or just Methodists are going to go to heaven. But everybody who puts their hope and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is going to go to heaven. So... The Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning Christ Universal Church. And we need to bring to the meaning of that word what uh, Christians brought to that, that word for many, many years. So I, am, uh, so I am somewhat Reformed. I am somewhat Calvinistic. I am somewhat dispensationalist. Somewhat, basically, what a friend of mine says, you're just confused, okay? Um. So, a little bit of my background. Uh, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at not what did my tradition teach me. We're not going to look at... See, this is the problem a lot of us have. I'm talking about you. Okay? I'm talking about you. I'm, I'm talking about every single one of you. And I'm talking about me. We have a tendency to take our, our thinking, our understanding, and looking at Scripture through the light of what we've been taught rather than looking at what we've been taught through the light of Scripture. Are you with me here? And whenever we begin to look at Scripture, Scripture through the light of what we grew up with instead of looking at what we grew up with through the light of Scripture, then we know we stop growing. We stop going. We stay stuck. We stay stuck in the past. Now, my belief is when you begin to look at your past in light of the teaching of Scripture, you'll find that a lot of the things that you may have grown up with were really, really good. It doesn't mean you have to reject everything. It just means that you want to look at it and explore it in light of what the Bible teaches. So let's let the Word of God speak. Can we do this? 
not Gary. Let's let the Word of God speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 1. If you have your Bible, please open up to it. If you have a cell phone, open up to it. I'm reading from the NIV. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He as He determines. As He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. (coughs) Excuse me. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. What's God saying to us? Um. Real quick, real quick, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a summary statement of what the text is saying to us here, but I want to kind of define for you, what is a spiritual gift? All right, what's a spiritual gift? And and a spiritual gift is not the same as a natural talent. So, for example, uh, you might be born with a natural talent for for singing, or you might be born with a natural talent. I, I, I was not born with that natural talent. My wife was, okay? You may be born with a natural talent for singing. You might be born with a natural talent for certain kinds of sports. Or you might be born with a natural talent for a lot of different kinds of things. Uh, a, spiritual gift, a spiritual gift is, at least according to the scripture, uh, in verse 7, it says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit was given for the common good. So a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit. It is... Uh, It is a special ability that is given to you at the moment, not of your physical birth, but your spiritual birth. But it is an ability that's given to you to serve, to help the body of Christ. It is is an ability that God has given you 
to bless the church with. See, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your church needs you. Did you know this? Your church needs you. Every single person in this room who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, your church needs you. Why? Because God has given you a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift, an ability for the common good. You know what the common good means? The good of the church. To bless the church. To serve the church. To help the church. See, God has given that to you. It is, a, it is a holy gift. It is a holy gift that should not be neglected. In fact, Paul tells Timothy uh, to, to not neglect the gift that's been given to him. Uh, it's, it's a gift that must not be neglected. It must be used to edify, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen Christ's church. Um, basically, well, here, I want to share with you four thoughts, and then I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. Okay? Uh, first thought is this. It's the work of the Spirit to glorify the Lordship of Christ, and when you exercise your spiritual gift, you will also bring glory and honor to the Lordship of Christ. That, that it is the work of the Spirit to glorify the Lordship of Christ. Real interesting, when you read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul is telling uh, the Corinthians, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, Paul is talking to you. God is talking to you right now. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, God is talking to you. He is saying to you, I do not want you to be uninformed. By the way, the best place to be informed is right here. It's reading the scriptures. Reading it again and again and again. Reading it with a heart of humility. Humbly receiving the word implanted that's able to save your soul. God doesn't want you to be uninformed. Paul goes on to write. He says, you know that when you were pagans, by the way, all of us have a context, right? Don't you? Didn't you grow up with a background? Yeah, you had a childhood. All right? I I talked a little bit about my childhood a moment ago. Let's talk about the childhood of the Corinthians. What denomination church did they grow up? Oh, they grew up as pagans. Okay? They grew up as pagans, meaning that they served and worshipped the traditional religions of Rome and Greece. By the way, the Bible never celebrates um, uh, these other traditions, other kinds of religion as as a, uh, a true seeking after God, but a true rejection of God. And he said, you guys, you grew up as pagans. Somehow or other, you were influenced and you were led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, says, Jesus, be cursed. See, if you grew up in a pagan background, if you grew up in a pagan background, it would not be unheard of to hear someone say, in your church, Jesus, be cursed. He says this, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, now, some of you could say, well, gee, Gary, I think I could say Jesus is Lord, even if I don't believe in God. 
I think an atheist, someone who's rejected God entirely, someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, they can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about a confession that reflects the true condition of your heart. See, no one can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit working in them. That nobody can say, see, when we are declaring that Jesus is Lord, the word Lord here is kurios. Kurios. That word, kurios, is used in the Greek version of the New Testament, excuse me, the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's used more than 6,000 times. Okay? Is that a lot of times? More than 6,000 times the word kurios, the Greek word for Lord, is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, used for the name Yahweh. The Hebrew word Yahweh, which means the Lord God. And so when the Bible talks about declaring that Jesus is kurios, it means we're saying that he is the Lord God of the Old Testament scriptures. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is kurios. And when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that he is the God of gods. We are saying that he is the King of kings. We are saying that he is the Lord of lords. We are saying from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe, no other God is God. No other God is God. There is only one God, and Jesus is kurios. He is Lord. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we are just saying kind of conceptually, Jesus is the Lord Yahweh. We are saying that Jesus is Lord how I think about everything in my life. We are saying that Jesus is my boss and how I think about my career. We are saying that Jesus is Lord of my career. We are saying that Jesus is Lord, He is Lord of my sexuality and how I think about sexuality. We are saying that He is Lord about how we think about money. We are saying that He is Lord, that He is God over how we think about relationships with other people how we interact with people who maybe think or believe differently from us. And so when Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit, he is saying the only way you can say Jesus is Lord is if a miracle of grace happens in your life. In John chapter 3, Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born again. And when a person is born again, according to Jesus, they are born of the Holy Spirit. See, apart from the Holy Spirit working in my life, I would have never, never, never turned to Jesus. I didn't turn to Jesus because of the goodness in my heart. I desperately needed Jesus because of the sin in my heart. And it is a miracle of grace. Only the Holy Spirit working in us can we come to this place where we can say that Jesus is the Lord. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to glorify the Lordship of Christ. Uh, you know what? I may stop here. Maybe I need to stop here. But I want to, I, I, I want to say this. A couple of guys, uh, some of you guys heard me talk about John Stott. Uh, you, maybe, you've, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if anybody's ever actually read any of John Stott's works, but I've read a few. But, and then there's another guy, J.I. Packer. Anybody here ever hear of J.I. Packer? 
uh, a few of you. Anybody ever hear of the book, Knowing God? Uh, J.I. Packer wrote that. But, but Packer and Stott both like to say about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit has made a career of glorifying Christ. The Holy Spirit makes a career of glorifying Christ. And, and what they mean by that is, is this, and they use this analogy of floodlights. Uh, anybody ever been to Washington, D.C.? Okay. Uh, or have you ever been in a city where there's some really beautiful, ornate buildings, kind of like the, the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial? You ever visit something like that? I, I remember when I was in uh, Eastern Europe and I was working there in Budapest, but we'd go down to Parliament uh, sometimes at night. And it's this beautiful building, this incredible building. And when you look at the building, you don't look at the floodlights. You don't look at the floodlights. You don't even notice that there are floodlights. But the reason that you can see the building is because there are these floodlights. And what these floodlights do is they illumine. They illuminate the building. And so what you are looking at is not so much the light, but you are looking at the beauty of the building that's illumined by the light. When the Holy Spirit is working in us, Jesus Christ is glorified. His Lordship is glorified. The evidence of of the work of the Spirit isn't that there's more talk about the Holy Spirit. There needs to be talk about the Holy Spirit. But the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is there's more talk about Jesus. Because see, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 14, is that He will glorify me because He will take of mine and, and entrust it to you. When we are really, the Holy Spirit is doing his worst, or excuse me, his best work among us. That's what happens when you try to say best and and work at the same time. Uh, When the Holy Spirit is doing his best work among us, we're aware of who the Holy Spirit is. We're aware of how the Holy Spirit is at work. But our focus is on the person of Jesus and the Lordship of Christ. And when we are using our spiritual gifts the way the Holy Spirit wants us to, we will glorify the Lordship of Christ because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Another thought here real quick is this. God works through us in various ways to serve His church. That's, that's what this text is about. That Paul says there are different kinds of gifts. How many gifts are there? We don't really know. Okay, There's a little bit of disagreement on this. There's at least... 20 to 22 that we can identify in the New Testament. But what the Bible says, it says there are different, and the word of focus here is different. If you got your Bible open, circle that word. There are different, uh, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit, underline the word same. Different, same. Different gifts, same spirit. Uh, verse 5. There are different kinds of service. Circle different. Paul's trying to make a point. When he repeats a word over and over again, he's making a point. There are what? There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Okay? Different kinds of gifts, same spirit. Different kinds of service, same Lord. Uh, Verse 6. There are different... You get a, do you get the idea of Paul's trying to make a point here? Different, 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 different. Different. 
We need to embrace our differences, all right? There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God. In this verse we see here, or these verses, we see both uh, the, the unity and the diversity. The unity of God and how God is at work in us. Uh, we see this, the triune God here. The Spirit, the Lord, God at work. Father, Son, Holy Spirit at work in us and through us by our different kinds of gifts. Third thought is this. The Holy Spirit distributes to each person one or more gifts just as he wills for the good of others. Um, uh, where do I see that? Verse 1, or excuse me, verse 7. Now to each one, each individual believer, each one, now to each, uh, um, each one, the manifestation of the, of the Spirit is given for what? For the common good. Okay? And if you look down in verse 11, all these, all these spiritual gifts, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as he determines. That what the Holy Spirit does is he distributes to each person one or more gifts just as he wills. So, a couple of thoughts here I want to say is that, uh, first of all, I just raised this question. How many gifts are there? How many gifts are there? Um, We see at least 22 different things called spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Uh, there are, I think, if I remember correctly, there are six different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Interesting. No two lists are the same. Every single list is different. Every single list is different. Uh, by the way, in none of these lists will you see a comprehensive list of every single gift. So every single list is a representative list and not an exhaustive list. In each case, when it's talking to us about spiritual gifts, it's not trying to outline for us every single gift that there is, but it's talking to us more about how we're supposed to use these spiritual gifts. By the way, the other thing that's really interesting about all these different lists is they never really, Paul never really goes into detail to explain to us what these gifts are. This is crazy, okay? I, I can't, I'm not sure how many, I think I read like, five different commentaries on this text before while I was getting ready for this, um, this message. And then I also read through a, a little bit of Wayne Grudem's and his idea about spiritual gifts. Every single one of these Bible teachers talks about each spiritual gift differently. Every one of them, there's not a lot of, of you know, they, they'll kind of have some measure of agreement, but there's a lot of fuzziness, a lot of fuzziness. Um, I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason for that. And I think it's like this, is that we want everything to be clearly defined for us. You know what that means? That means you're a 21st century North American. That's what it means. The Bible was not originally written to 21st century North Americans. All right? In this case, Paul was writing to a group of Greeks. Um, I believe, uh, I believe, and not just me, I mean, there are other Bible teachers and Bible scholars, people who are a lot smarter than I am, who agree with this and believe the same thing. One of those guys is John Stott. But, but it, and I wanted to share with you what Stott says, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Uh, I like what Stott says. Stott believes that there may be as many different kinds of spiritual gifts as there are people. That there are 
an overwhelming number of spiritual gifts. And he gives here, as an example, this is not a proof, but as an example, John and Charles Wesley. Anybody know who John and Charles Wesley are? If you've ever heard of Wesleyan theology, if you've ever heard of the Methodist Church, they were like the original founders of the Methodist Church, although uh, Charles Wesley was against the idea of Methodists separating from the Anglican Church, the Church of England. But uh, John and Charles Wesley, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but, but our nation was born out of spiritual revival. This nation was born out of spiritual revival that happened in the 18th century. It's been called the Great Awakening. Some of the, some of the uh, leaders in the Great Awakening included Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, another guy by the name of George Whitfield, and then John and Charles Wesley. These were some of the, uh, the, the, the names of, of the men who had the greatest impact during that, great, that first Great Awakening. Uh, John and Charles Wesley, uh, So just so you kind of know who they are, John Wesley was very, very gifted as an evangelist. He would routinely speak to large groups of people similar to George Whitfield, not as many, but he would speak to these large groups and many, many people would come to know Jesus. He was also a very, very gifted Bible teacher. Uh, he was also uh, very much gifted with administration, what the Bible calls the spiritual gift of administration, this ability to organize. He, he had these kinds of gifts. Charles Wesley had none of them. He wasn't a real gifted evangelist. He wasn't a very gifted Bible teacher. He wasn't a real gifted leader or administrator. He really didn't have anything that when you read through the New Testament and you read through the different catalogs of spiritual gifts, he really didn't have anything that you would identify as a spiritual gift based only on what's written in the New Testament. However, 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 this is what Stott says. Stott says, I believe he was spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit with the gift, gift of hymn writing. Now, when you read the New Testament, you'll never read in those lists hymn writing. You'll never read that. But, but let me, if we think of spiritual gifts as that which we do that blesses the church, if we think of spiritual gifts as that which we do that blesses the church, Charles Wesley blessed the church with more than 6,000 hymns. About 6,500, some people say. About 6,500 hymns. Any of y'all ever sing a hymn written by Charles Wesley when you were growing up? Um, anybody, ever, uh, anybody ever sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Charles Wesley. Anybody ever re, uh, sing Oh Four Thousand Tongues? Oh Four Thousand? What's that? Tongues to sing? I can't. I can't do it. Joy, you come up and do it, okay? But Oh Four Thousand Tongues. You ever seen that, Charles Wesley? Uh, ever seen And Can It Be That I Should Gain, Charles Wesley? Ever seen Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Charles Wesley? See, I think sometimes we have a very narrow understanding of how God wants to bless the church through you and me. Yeah, there are spiritual gifts and some are identified in the New Testament. But my belief is that God wants to bless the church through you. Uh, I had another point. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cover it. Uh, But let me just kind of wrap this up. Because all Christians 
have been baptized by one spirit into one body, Christ's church. God wants us to understand and exercise spiritual gifts so that we glorify the lordship of Christ to promote unity through diversity in the body of Christ and to use our gifts as the Spirit has distributed uh, them to each of us to bless his church. Uh, Next week what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Paul describes as a more noble way. Uh, Next week we're going to look at a chapter that many of us are very, very familiar with. Uh, And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 13, uh, the chapter of love. And so we're going to look at what Paul calls a, a, a better way. Let's pray. God, today we want to worship you and we want to praise you. And we want to declare that you are Lord. That you are Lord. You are Lord over the entire universe. You are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and there is no other. And God, what we want to do is we want to submit and surrender to your lordship over every area of our lives, including how we think about spiritual gifts and how we use the abilities that you have blessed us with to bless your church. And we pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.